Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans? Back here for episode number 26 of the Mets Up Podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets series. Finishing it up against the Atlanta Braves last night. I guess you guys are going to hear this in the morning. And it was another weird series. The Mets' offense has been all over the place. We got some more injury news here. We got guys making debuts. We got guys coming back from the IL. McNeil, Conforto back. Nimmo on the way. It's been a really, really weird week as a Mets fan, and I think it's going to get better. I mean, game four, we ended up winning as a little spoiler for those of you who didn't watch, but you're all big Mets fans. You've watched the games, but we had a good start and a good end to the series. The middle was not so much, so we got a lot to talk about here, of course, as we always do. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. No video this week because I am currently in North Carolina at the MLB Draft Combine, and the internet at the Comfort Suites is not particularly (laughs) great. So me and James had to cancel the video portion because it was just lagging so badly. So we're going to do audio only this time, but for the next episode, I should be in a place with stable internet, so we should get videos back then. So apologies for that. Uh, Make sure if you are listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, specifically Apple Podcasts, drop us a rating. Five stars if you're enjoying it. Drop us a review, too. It really does help us get more discovered on the Apple Podcast algorithm, whatever that thing actually is. That's a mystery. But after that long-winded intro, James, how you doing? How's uh, how's New York treating you? How's, how's the city feel with the Mets being in such an interesting scenario right now? The city's great, man. There is tons of people walking on the street every single day. Mets hats, Mets shirts, Mets jerseys. I love let's go Metsing a stranger. It's one of my favorite pastimes to do in New York. Really anywhere where I see anyone wearing Mets gear. It gets a good gets a weird look like twenty five percent of the time, but just you build a lot more uh more love for the team that way. You usually like catch people off guard and they're like, Oh yeah, that's right, I'm wearing Mets stuff. Yeah. I was very tempted to do it to the Mets scout today at the draft combine. I saw him, he was decked out in full Mets gear, and I was about to be like, Let's go Mets. I'm like, he honestly probably doesn't care. So you know what? I'm gonna not be awkward. Dude, also, like, at what point is, like, that guy just not even a fan? Like, he's just at work. Yeah, he's at work, and he cares about getting young guys that will eventually make it. And I'm sure once they do, he's like, I did my job, and as long as I'm still here, I'm feeling good. (laughs) Exactly. So let's hop into game one here, because we had DeGrom back. And we had the weird doubleheader, of course, the seven-inning games. But that's been a little bit of a specialty of the Mets this year. And luckily for us, in game one, like I said, we had DeGrom, and... DeGrom was so sick again. Like, this guy, it doesn't make any sense. Coming off of a shoulder injury, coming off of the elbow injury, it doesn't seem like he's ever going to slow down. Everything he was doing was fantastic again. Dude, 
so fantastic. Even just from the first inning on Monday, that was Monday afternoon, which feels like a lifetime ago, he was so locked in and ready to rock. Like, especially the beginning, the top of that Braves order is terrifying from Acuna, Freeman, Albies. Like, I don't know if there's any team in baseball with a better one, two, three. I was literally just about to say that is probably one of the best one, two, threes in baseball, like top five at worst. Dude, one of the best I even remember, like in our lifetimes. And he just dominated them off the jump. And you're like, all right, we're back. Everything's good. That at bat to Albies in the first inning on Monday really put into perspective, like what was happening and just the fact that Jake was okay. It was similar to that Domingo Leyva at bat in Arizona about a month ago, which started Arizona skid, yeah. which is crazy to think about. That was a month ago and Arizona still losing games from that. It's like the fact also we're comparing Domingo Leyva, like a someone who basically doesn't belong in the major leagues, to Ozzy Albies, a perennial all-star. is funny, but Jake did the same thing to him where he just dropped slider, slider, slider on his back foot, and he was completely clueless. Yeah, I mean, just DeGrom has the ability to make some of the best hitters in baseball look like they don't actually know what sport they're playing. That's what he did to the Braves in Game 1. What's crazy, too, is because he had those three perfect innings from the, his last start, and he, I think, had another, what, like two or three perfect innings in this game, right? Mm-hmm. He was on route or en route to technically get a perfect game at some point. And I think, I don't remember who broke it up, but he was like, he was doing stuff that you're like, this dude's just having one of those days. Yes, he's not going to be able to throw a no-hitter or a perfect game because of the seven-inning double-header rule and you get the Mass and Bumgarner thing going on here with the no-hitter can't officially count. But he was just so dominant where it was like, I think you'd allow it because of the three perfect innings from the game before. And then if he did like another six perfect, you're like, that's 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 a perfect game in my eyes. Oh, yeah, that'll definitely count. He actually has retired, I think it was 34 consecutive batters in the first inning, which is more outs than a perfect game. That's so silly. That's so silly. And he hasn't allowed a run in how long? I know he had a, he had a streak going. I think it's also in the 30s, 30-something innings. He was also the first pitcher in baseball history to allow one or zero runs in 12 consecutive starts. Not his first 12 starts of the season. He's definitely the first pitcher to ever do that. But the only pitcher in the history of baseball to allow one or zero runs in any 12 consecutive starts. Like, I always love to mention it on my channel that, like, when we watch Mike Trout, we're watching the best player in baseball, but also one of the greatest to ever play the game, if not the best. With Jacob deGrom, we're not watching just the best pitcher in baseball. We're watching possibly one of the greatest to ever do it. There's... Every single time he goes out on the field, he has the ability to do something special, and you should seriously stop what you're doing, turn on the Mets, and at least watch Jacob deGrom when he's on the mound. I've had no reservations about saying that either. I think Jacob deGrom right now is in the midst of one of the best pitching runs the baseball world has ever seen. He's not even right. Like There were times on Monday where he kind of lost control. Like The the, peop, the Braves were starting to hit the ball a little bit, I say third, fourth, fifth inning. For Somehow he walked Kyle Muller. After he was ahead of him, he just he just like was absolutely like steadfast in, on throwing sliders and getting them over. And he was so stubborn; they weren't snapping the right way. And he kept throwing them, and he walked him. It just doesn't matter. Whenever he is focused and like he's concentrating and he's all in, like no one can touch him. Well, I think even Ronnie brought it up on the broadcast. Like he's such a different animal that that Kyle Muller at bat was super weird. First off, random Kyle Muller is a house. That dude is yeah. a monster of a human being. He made Pete Alonso look like a child when he stood next to him on first base. But the other point that Ron made was that DeGrom kept going to that slider. And he's like, it's almost as if he knew that he couldn't get hurt. So he was going to throw it and throw it and throw it to get it right so that he could get the next guy out. Yeah, he just had to make sure the slider was the way it should be for the future. 
Yeah, and that's just that's like the kind of thousand IQ galaxy brain that Jacob Degrom is. Like he doesn't care about necessarily pitching to the pitcher appropriately. He's like, that's ah, fine. I need to make sure I'm good for the next guy. Yeah, I have to make sure this slider works around Acuna. I don't really care about Kyle Butler, whether he's on base or not. Like I have to get around Acuna out. It was also funny in this game when he just um. He swung and caught that liner off of, I don't even remember who hit it, but it was just like a hot shot right back through the box. And DeGrom just super casually, no emotion, just stuck his glove out, bang, right in, like nothing. He just circled the, circled the mound, came right back. Yeah, a lot of times when guys like catch those, it's a big like, oh, look what I found kind yeah. of moment. But DeGrom consciously made the effort of like, oh, a line drive, mine. Like he went out and grabbed it. He's The game is in slow motion for him. I heard Mark DeRosa while I was watching MLB Central talk about Jordan Alvarez at the plate and how the game looks like it's in slow motion for him when DeGrom's on the mound it looks like everything around him is moving in slow motion like he's just in a different world Dude, definitely I would even say that the game moves in slow motion for DeGrom when he's at the plate as well because that that bat he had I think it was the second inning where it was second and third two outs like you could see that he was like grimacing the fact that he couldn't swing like he knew he wasn't supposed to swing the way he's used to swinging like he wasn't supposed to do like the full body swing and he was just trying to, like, swat at the ball. And he actually made decent contact and hit a fly ball to left field. But you could, like, see in his eyes it was killing him. He couldn't drive in a couple of runs for the team. Well, yeah, he knows that this Mets team has an inability to score runs for him typically. And how many games this year has he been the leading force <laughs> behind the offense when he's pitching? So he's got to be aware that, like, hey, if I don't score, we might not score. So you guys don't want me to swing. I'm really good at hitting. Why wouldn't you want me to swing? I'm the best hitter on this team. I am hitting 500. At that time. At that time. But... It was still not smooth sailing for the offense on Monday. We were very lucky to get that VR run in the first inning. He just really worked out some old school baseball shit. A walk, Lindor accidentally bunted them over. Like, not accidentally bunted them. Lindor was bunting for a hit. It wound up being a sacrifice. VR had the super, super heads-up play to tag from second to third on a fly ball to left field, which no one in baseball has the balls to do that. But he saw that uh, Almonte, I don't remember his first name. Is it Yancy? Abraham? Abraham, Abraham. Abraham Almonte kind of caught the ball awkwardly moving back and towards the line. So VR hustled back to the bag, and then he touched up, hustled to third, made it in a slide, and he scored in a wild pitch. Like, that's manufacturing a run, the definition of it. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the Jonathan VR we like to see when he's playing that heads-up kind of baseball, like a little scrappy almost. Just stuff that, like, a lot of players don't typically do. It helps that Jonathan VR is also a madman on the base paths because, like you said, no one tags from left field no. to third base. He's a little bit of a crazy person. If he didn't do that, we wouldn't have scored. And during the duration of this game, we would not have been ahead, and things would have been different because the Braves did get to DeGrom, like more so than most other people. We say they got to DeGrom as in they got two men on base at the same time. No one scored, of course. But there was that weird ball that dropped in between Almora and Dom off, the, I don't remember, the bottom of the order, someone. It was Kevin Smith, I think. I think it was Kevin Smith because Heredia was on base. And he was already hustling around third and went hopped over the fence from the warning track. Ridiculous angle in that bounce. What a miracle that was. But he kept the Braves off the board and allowed us to have a big rally in the fifth and more or less put this game away. Yeah, it was nice to see that McNeil came up and immediately swung at the first pitch because, of course, that's Jeff McNeil. Do we expect anything less? The thing that was super frustrating about that inning, though, was Lindor, the 3-0 swing. Oh, in his wheelhouse, and he just popped up lazy to right field. Like, I respect the idea of being aggressive 3-0 mm-hmm. and trying to jump on the mm-hmm. pitch, but it was what? Bases loaded, right? And 3-0 yeah, there. Bases loaded, yeah. 
Yeah, bases loaded 3-0. And, like, was it still Kyle, Kyle Muller at the time? Who was pitching? I don't even remember. But whoever it was was not around the strike zone. That, that was Shane Green. So they had brought Shane Green in for Muller after the fourth. So Shane Green started the fifth. And Shane Green, one of the guys who I've been saying for years is awful, continues to just be awful. Yeah, he was supposed to be the saving grace of that terrible Atlanta Braves bullpen. And shockingly, Such a bad bullpen. He, he hasn't saved it at all because that bullpen still sinks. But yeah, Lindor bailed him out. Like, he wasn't around the sh- around the strike zone at all. He swung at a 3-0 pitch that was, like, technically a good pitch to swing at. But I think you got to read the room a little bit more there, and you just got to take, which yeah, I hate saying. I know. But, but like, you ha- if you're going to swing 3-0 in that situation with the bases loaded, you have to get a hit. You have to. And I know you can't ever guarantee that when you swing, but, like, it's, it's just got to be better. I'll play devil's advocate just from – the fact that Lindor was still kind of off the shine from his big game on Saturday, and he has been swinging a hot bat relative to how he's been swinging the rest of the season. So I kind of, I don't want to say respect it, but I understand that he wanted he wanted to get a hit rather than a walk. And a lot of people this year have given Lindor flack for seemingly looking to walk rather than hit. So I like the aggressiveness and he did get a pitch to hit he just simply missed it and he knew he missed it everyone knew he missed it it was the same pitch he hit out tonight just to jump ahead for today's game for a second it was that low end that the left-handed swing just pops that right out and he just missed it i don't hate that process the fact that he was aggressive and took that hack is fine and luckily he was bailed out by our boy dom smith who that was just such a bad at bat and boy did we Awful. get lucky oh it was dom so bad swung at what like three balls basically like he should have been walked and it was, what, 2-2? Yeah. Two, two it was like count? a high fastball, like, outside slide. Especially, like, when Sean Newcomb comes in the game. Like, we know who Sean Newcomb is at this point. The guy is aller- he uh, he's allergic to strikes. He's allergic to being anything but a bad pitcher. He's just, like, I've I've completely, like, sold out on the idea that this guy can be anything that's, like, worth a damn. He's just bad, and he doesn't throw strikes. The Braves' bullpen altogether is so ridiculously bad. The Braves' bullpen is, like... A bunch of guys who met at like a Luke Combs concert, and they're like, "Hey, we oh, let man. let's pitch." Will Smith, AJ Minter, Chris Martin, Shane Green, Luke Jackson. Like, are you guys kidding me? Did you guys all go like we're in the same fraternity at Kentucky? Like, how did you guys find each other? Why are you all on this team yeah. together? I mean, we know how much I love to give the Braves bullpen shit. It's just like it's crazy that this bullpen is so bad, and they fans thought it was good at the beginning of the year and were upset when I said it was going to be a big problem. What do you know? Their bullpen was a problem because it blew this game for them. I, they weren't winning, but it kept them out of it. It's crazy that the Braves, like, last year would have gone to the World Series if they had even a competent bullpen, and they managed to make it worse in the offseason. Yeah, they lost their three best arms from that not very good bullpen in Melanson, who is fake good, Darren O'Day, who's legit good, and then who was the third guy? Was it, I mean, it was technically Shane Green. Yeah, but now they brought back. him back, but they screwed him up because you, the guy lo- basically lost his spring training. You tried to bring him on in mid-May, and now he's pitched a few haphazard innings, and he sucks. Like, that's not easy. Kimbrell. Look what happened to Craig Kimbrell. Exactly, yeah. Like, that guy, it took him two full years to get back to being good. It's so important for these pitchers to get ready the right way. You can't rush dudes back. Yeah. And also, I... To backtrack, I wouldn't say those are the three best guys in this bullpen. It was definitely Melanson, Smith, and Martin still. Maybe O'Day sneaking in. And Matzik has proven to be, like, okay. But it it's like malpractice f- what this front office did to this bullpen. It's, it's fucked up, to be honest. 
No, it's not good, especially when they don't have the starters either that can go deep into the game. Like, yes, you got Charlie Morton, but Charlie Morton hasn't gone deep into a game since 2018 with the Houston Astros. So (laughs) that's not the same Charlie Morton. He's a completely different pitcher now. You get five out of him, you're feeling good. Granted, later in this series, as we do a little foreshadowing, he went more than five and pitched pretty well against the Mets. So well. I also think that's a little bit of help from the Mets offense being abysmal because pretty much after this inning, there was no offense for the rest of the series until game four. No, literally. The Mets scored four runs on Monday, and then we did not score again until Wednesday. Today. Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, and of course, just to wrap up game one here, Lugo, not particularly great. I don't know if you saw anything in particular of concern. I just think like that's going to be something that happens. He's going to get hit at some point. So I think that his usage has been kind of strange. As there hasn't really been, doesn't see, I mean, uh, from the outside, doesn't seem like there's been much of a plan or any type of consistency with the way that he's been coming into games or being warmed up. And I think that's worn on him, if I'm being honest. Like, he just looked really out of sorts on Monday afternoon. Like, something just looked wrong. Similarly to the last time he pitched, which I believe was Friday, where it just looked like things were more difficult than they should have been. So maybe they just have to get, everyone has to get on the same page. Like, this is going to happen. He's only been back two weeks now. Once he gets in a groove, once a rhythm is established, I believe he will be better. But all those pitches were fine. He still looked good. Velocity was there. So I'm not concerned about Seth Lugo at all. Just something to monitor how he's being used. Yeah. Uh, He's a guy, like, to go back to the old regime under the BBW days, like, it was very well known when Seth Lugo was going to be pitched, pitching. Like, I think it was, like, before he came to the park, like, Lugo, you're pitching today. And he knew what days he had off. Maybe we need to go back a little bit to that. I hope we don't have to. I'd like to be able to use him whenever we want. But. I think I think it's kind of like, um, like let's say you have your whole group of friends. And everyone's really tight. Everyone knows the role. And, like, let's say you guys all play pickup sports together. You play basketball, football, baseball, whatever. Someone breaks their leg. They miss four months of playing outside with their friends. They come back after those months. Their leg is healed, but... Everyone has slightly different roles now, so you have to get yours back, see where you fit. I think that's kind of where Lugo is. Like We don't exactly know where he fits in this new bullpen puzzle. It's a great puzzle. It's a beautiful picture when it's all working together, and we just have to make sure he is the right piece. Definitely, definitely, because Diaz has just been lights out still, and he was great again in game one. Close the door, no problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We kind of tore this game to shreds for even the notes we had on it, but there's not much to say about Edwin Diaz. Like, he's just super reliable, consistent, and one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. Say that confidently. We say that every episode. Like, There's no doubt with Edwin Diaz anymore. Yeah, and I think part of the reason we tore Game 1 to shreds, too, is we just have a little you know, apprehension to talk about Game 2 and 3 because it's pretty pretty dark stuff, it's pretty disgusting. Uh, it's started to get a little gloom and doom in the Mets world, and I will say to myself, I was feeling a little gloom and doom after watching Game 2 and 3. Game 2, not so much, but once you saw the Game 3 performance, that's when you went, yeah. oh God. But let's talk about Game 2 first. Jared Eikhoff made his New York Mets debut. He pitched. That's he did, something he did. He did pitch. He definitely pitched. I don't know if I want to see him pitch much more, but... Well, I have, ba- I have bad news for you. <laughs> He's going to. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess the one positive is like, hey, he didn't do terribly no i think that he was he did as well as we could possibly have hoped or expected given his recent outcomes in the minor leagues and spring training and just the last few years he pitched in the majors like he got through innings nothing was pretty this was this was a big um a game where you can see the different generations of fans butting heads because after he finished i believe it was the second or third inning i was watching with my dad i was like take him out you cannot let him keep pitching this game the fact that he's gotten as far as a miracle i don't want anyone to see him again like take him out my dad's like oh he's getting a rhythm he's just settling in like let him work into it i was like (laughs) absolutely not and gary and keith 
and Ron, I was actually Ron and Keith, I mixed up Gary and Ron, they had this point today where in old school baseball, managers and coaches were looking for any reason they had to keep a pitcher in the game. Modern baseball, we're looking for any reason to take someone out of the game. And Jerry Lykoff gave us a billion reasons to take him out of the game, literally from the first inning. Every guy was just getting on base. Like, he only pitched four innings, and he left six guys on base. The maximum so many. of players he could have left on base was 12. <laughs> yeah, he, he left out 50% of the possible runners on base. It's not even a statistic. We can't even track that because <laughs> no one would even care. But for this outing in particular, it was strange. Like, he had three strikeouts, three walks, like... That's not going to be sustainable. But one shining light was that his slider actually, I thought, looked pretty good. It's a new pitch because he used to be a curveball guy, right? Like If I remember correctly mm-hmm. with the Phillies. So that slider. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it was nice. It, was, it wasn't It was even like slurvy. Like it was actually like a hard, like I will not going to say hard because Jared Lackoff doesn't throw hard, but it was a, a sharper, sharper slider. Had seven whiffs on 15 swings. Like That's that's tolerable. With, just with that pitch and a fastball that you can command moderately, you could be a three-inning guy. Like, Jerry Lykoff could pitch three innings a week. That's fine. Five sometimes when he pitches on Monday, maybe. Which is, like, very much the role that we thought Lucchese was going to be in, Jordan Yamamoto, Sean Reed Foley, like, a bunch of these guys. So it's not really a problem to have him as a possible three-inning guy. It's just that now, based on what we see what the rotation could possibly look like, because Lucchese's on the 60-day IL, we lost Gesellman as well to the 60-day IL, Eikhoff's going to be getting a few more innings than just three. Yeah, we need him. We need Jared Eikhoff to just to pitch, just to eat innings. We need him to put on his bib, take out the fork, and just eat some goddamn innings. That's going to happen. Also, Gazelma just went out for the year. No one's even spoken about it. Torn lat, I believe? Yeah, are you like that's a super serious injury for a pitcher. That, that kept Syndergaard almost out the whole year a couple years ago. He's a dude who can't catch a break. It seems like just when things always start to go right for him, like one like freak injury out of nowhere, and the dude's done. Mm-hmm. And also, as we're on this topic of the Mets' multi-inning swingmen, Sean Rifoli again, did not look right this game. So what was his pitch breakdown? Because I, I don't remember. Monday feels like literally, I was traveling all day. It feels like, uh, you know, centuries ago. Centuries what ago. What was his pitch breakdown? Because I know in the previous two that we talked about they struggled, he was throwing a lot of fastballs, but he also came in games that, like, were a little different. So what was he looking yeah. like? He only pitched one inning. He only threw... 15 pitches so like i just say he looked shaky because he wasn't really i think just there were like two very hard hit balls or maybe three i'm trying to remember now but he threw two-thirds fastballs one-third sliders literally 10 and 15 no one swung and missed at the slider which that's a bad sign for him and like i don't know he touched 95 with it he just he cut the change up altogether it, it something just seemed off with him it's maybe like just the tape that went out i'm thinking that the mets probably made an adjustment with him when he first came to the team and they were catching teams off guard. Now it seems like maybe the league is caught up and now the Mets need to make an additional adjustment because his mediocre stuff seems to just be getting hit. Yeah. And the Braves have also seen, that was the second time the Braves saw him too. So you could chalk yeah. that up to a little bit of, you know, a second angle there on Sean Reed Foley, who let's be honest, his role again has always been this like swing man role a little bit, eat some innings out of the pen when we need it. He's not a guy who has nasty stuff. We didn't trade Steven Matz for him because we we're like, Sean Reed Foley, this is going to be the guy that we're going to sculpt into the next Jacob deGrom. Again, like there's at least still the foundation there, and we just need Sean Reed Foley to give us innings. I know he was optioned today, but it's just literally because he has options. Like He's going to swap with Corey Oswalt anytime in the next 72 hours, Lord knows when, and he's going to pitch again immediately when he comes back up because we need more guys like Sean Reed Foley who are going to be able to come in 
and have the capability to give us multiple innings. And we're going to get to our new multi-inning reliever, I guess, in Game 3, but... Before we wrap up Game Two, I just wanna just wanna say I feel bad for Miguel Castro that Acuna just did it to him, just, yeah. just took over the game. He did the same thing on Sunday night in the second game of the doubleheader against the Cardinals, where it was I think also zero zero game, and Acuna hit a home run. He just he just bodied them. That's what Ronald Acuna does. He's just good. He's just one of the best five players in the league. You know, one of them is on our team. One mm-hmm. of them is on the Braves. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that Ronald Acuna gets to play every day, so you really have to be careful with him. It's hard to beat him. Not many people do. So I can't get upset with Castro. Like you said, like Acuna, just, he just did it. It's yeah. going to happen. Did it to him. It's funny to look at a guy like Acuna's stats, see like he has, like I think it was 20 home runs now. That was his 20th home run of the season. And be like, when the fuck is someone on this team going to reach 20 home runs? Like September? Yeah, Lindor hit the home run tonight, and he has nine, and that leads the team. The Mets' stats are abysmal, like just as a unit. It's crazy. Yeah, everything outside of pitching is pretty pretty atrocious. Speaking of which, pitching, Trevor May, back, looking really good. Completely back. He's just fucking, he's a fickle dude. No one touched Trevor May's fastball on Monday. He threw it seven times. Two of them were balls. He had four whiffs on four swings, and he got one called strike. Like, that's the Trevor May we need. The fastball was jumping out of his hand. He was putting it where he wanted it to go. This is a high-leverage reliever. This is the guy we signed. That was the guy we saw at the beginning of the year, too, when he won our yeah. Mets Macho Man of the Month or whatever it was. Like, that was that was the man it was, and it's good to see him getting back to that form. That award is the, is the kiss of death. I'm scared to give it out for June. Terrified. I think we're going to stop because you gave it to Nito. And Nito <laughs> I was, know. He, he stinks, too. Nito's also on the IL. Hello? I know. Well, he got, I think, was that game two or was that game one? He got hit by the pitch on the wrist. That was it? Yeah, retroactive or whatever. Oh no, now, that was so. game. That was game one of the double double header. I remember like being terrified, being like, "We don't have a catcher, for, like a backup catcher for the second game." This double header, like if something happens to James McCann, Jeff McNeil, first game off the IL, is going to have to put the pads on because he's the emergency catcher. Yes, he has confirmed that on Twitter as well that he is the yeah. emergency catcher. When I tweeted it out this year, but really the whole story of game two was just the offense, and we ran ourselves out of multiple innings. Yep. Uh, like Peraza killed us. When he came yeah. in for VR, who got hurt, which that's also a little bit of a story. But Peraza killed us on that base running there. Uh, Pete going first to third on Ronald Acuna's arm. Like, Ron and Gary but, and Keith didn't hate it because they were like, it's aggressive base running, it's fine. But also, like, you have to – the Mets have to be smarter. Like, Pete is going to listen to his coaches. The coaching staff needs to know that Ronald Acuna is in right field. Pete runs like, I don't know, molasses. He's not a very fast flight fleet of foot it's, dude. It, it's not molasses. Pete isn't slow. He just runs like he's still like figuring out puberty. Like I am too. <laughs> like, I, I am too big for my legs, and something needs to hold me up. I won't hold Pete super accountable for that, just because like it was a hit and run. And when you have a hit yeah. and run, like in your mind, baseball sense automatic. I'm going from first to third. Ronald Acuna is just a freak of nature, and that was also like. Like the perfectly hit single where he basically caught it on three bounces and just came up firing and he was coming in like his momentum was the right way and he was still only thrown out by about a step and a half. And to be fair, Austin Riley did make a good tag too coming up to get the ball, which a lot of people don't do. Can I just say fuck Austin Riley for this game? This entire game, he acted like Nolan Arenado. He made so many sick plays, including the one in the ninth with, or the seventh, I guess it technically was, where uh, Pilar roped it down the line and that would have, the Mets win the game. The Mets yes, win the, the game if that the Mets, ball The Mets would have won the game. And also, I think there was one in the fourth and the fifth. I don't remember who hit it, but I remember a sharply hit ball. Maybe it was like the second. 
that Austin Riley moved to his left and made a delightful play. And Gary was like, oh, Austin Riley, not known for his defense. Yeah, no, he is the worst defensive third baseman in baseball. I think Alec Bohm might be the only worst one, but he's like number two worst defensively among OAA third baseman, which is like, my God, only against the Mets, man. Literally only against the Mets. But we just couldn't get a timely hit. We got our heads up our asses running the bases. This was this was a low point, and this low point definitely continued into the beginning of Game 3. The beginning of Game 3, probably like 7, the game starts 7.35, so by 8 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday was the lowest I've been all season with the Mets. Yeah, thank God I was busy watching uh, high school kids take BP because I was getting texts from you and my dad and it was not good. It was not good. My dad was my dad was super negative. You were just giving me information that was negative. Yeah, I was just I was texting you some dark shit. And the dark shit was just like Stroman's leaving the game. What the fuck? Which is always terrifying because he's been so good for us. But we got good news today that the MRI came back negative. They're putting him on the IL or are they not? I did I saw that they were not. He's simply day to day. I w- I'm going to the doubleheader on Friday. So I was hoping he would pull like a similar to what he did after the rainout against Miami in April. He was like, just give me the ball. Give me the ball back. But he's not doing That'd that. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, you got to treat him with some kitty gloves too here with the hip thing. Anything no, I know. We do have to be careful. And he did. It looked like he did hyperextend it. He was like doing that thing you do when your hip hurts where you like stretch your back. But like clearly like you can't fix your hip that way. And he tried to throw a pitch and... I think he was like, I could figure it out, and McCann came to the mound. He was like, you have to leave the game. Like, we really can't lose you for good. Yeah, no, we we need Stroman here. There's no levity in this situation. Like, you can't, you cannot get hurt. It's not allowed. Like, if you might be hurt, you just have to walk off the field right now and get yourself right. Because to lose Marcus Stroman, my self-proclaimed most important player on this team, would be such a catastrophic loss based on the innings he's given us. He's the only Mets starter who has not been on the IL. That's crazy. Nuts to shock it. Shockingly, oh my god, that's so bad. I don't even want to think about it. Good mm-hmm. news is he seems to be okay. Yenzi came in, and you've been a big yeah. Yenzi guy. You like Yenzi? Guy. He's one I of do our like boys. Yenzi. And I, I remember you texting me. And again, you and my dad were in sync with each other. You texted me. <laughs> Yenzi didn't warm up enough. My dad goes, "He's ice cold." He looked flustered this from the second he ran in, but he hustled in. I saw he was like panting. And he had, like, wide eyes looking at McCann and Rojas. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then he, like, the commercial break was short. I was like, shit. And he threw the first pitch in 91. I was like, you have to be kidding me. Yeah, no, 91 is not what you want no. to see from Yenzi. He's not a fireballer, but 91's slow. No, my guy sits, like, 94, 96. And he immediately walked the first guy. I think it might have been our boy, Riley, or could have been Almonte. I don't recall. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonsense. Minutia. And then someone had an infield single, walked the next guy, and he just looked like a deer in the headlights and Lindor walked over to him put his arm around him pat him on the chest a few times and I don't know maybe he had some spider tack on him or something who knows what Lindor gave the NZD has the confidence the lion's heart the power of a thousand suns but damn he just diced up the bottom of the Braves order and then spinning it around to Ronald Acuna struck out the side to get out of a ridiculous bases loaded nobody out jam yeah I, Lindor I think is definitely like taking the role of the leader with this team which is kind of interesting because he is coming into a team that was like pretty well knit and like close but it seems like almost the injuries allowed for him to take a leadership role quicker than we expected DeGrom's the leader based on his performance and play, but I do think like Lindor is like that the captain of this team almost in that like he's always hyping guys up, he's getting people focused, punching Jeff McNeil in the face maybe, whatever yeah, it is, it but he gets these guys playing right, and he did it with Yenzi. I think that this Mets 
team was devoid of a leader before he got here. Like while there were a lot of guys who've been here for a while, none of them really struck ever struck me as leaders. Simply just because everyone was a little bit younger, and even the guys who were, had been here longer, like specifically thinking about Conforto, was not particularly outspoken. Like Pete was the vocal leader, but he's a bit of a doofus. And Jacob Degrom just doesn't play every day. Like a starting pitcher just really can't be a leader of a baseball team because they only play twenty percent of the games, if that. So it's kind of hard to anoint someone like that as a leader. So you kind of need a guy like Lindor, who's been to multiple All Star games, who's played in a World Series who is the shortstop, who's at worst the defensive captain, to be the leader. And it, it worked out. It did. Now, unfortunately, uh, gave up a three-run bomb later in the game, but did get out of it early. The fact that he gave up that three-run bomb and it was the only offense for the entire game sucks because he pitched well besides that. He, like, channeled his avatar state to get out of the second inning. And Dansby Swanson got one out by the fucking grit of his teeth. Like, first, like, second row on those new seats that we put in to move that left field wall in. And like, he did get all of it. Like, it was a nice shot. But it's like the real story wasn't that we gave a through and home run. The real story is our offense gave us nothing. The only hit we had in this game until two outs in ninth inning was Jared Eikhoff, an infield single. Yeah, that's that's embarrassing when Gerard Eikhoff, the pitcher, <laughs> Gerard. is getting hits before our actual Major League Baseball hitters. The most fucked up part of the battle was Eikhoff wasn't even the first Mets pitcher to pinch hit. Like, we were playing with such a short bench because neither was still active, and VR had the calf tightness or whatever it was that Peterson actually pinch hit the inning before Eikhoff. Like, are you kidding me? Like, is this a fucking joke right now? Like, why don't we have players on the bench? You send Nito to the IL today. You couldn't have sent him to the IL yesterday. Like, get guys on this team. We need bats. We need help. The team hasn't been hitting. The team has scored, like, what, four runs in the past three games? Like, why are we trying to get cute? I didn't, I couldn't understand that. The worst part of it for me was that Alonzo didn't start this game, which I guess just day off, whatever. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense when your team is slumping and you put your best power bat on the bench. It seemed like the Mets were just continuously waiting for the best moment to get him in at bat, and it just never came. And we lost this game, and Pete never never stepped to the plate. It feels like to me when they give Pete the day off, it's not necessarily because of a rest thing. It seems like more of a mental thing, because Pete has looked pretty horrible at the plate the last like six to seven games. He's been pretty lost from what it looks like. It seems like when they do these rest days for Pete, it's a mental rest day. And they're really, really trying not to get him in unless they have to, which builds into what you were saying, looking for the perfect scenario. It was, because like, also, just a side note, I just killed a mosquito while you were talking. I'm really jacked up. He was nice. flying around me this whole podcast. I'm really pumped. But Bastard. like, we were down by three, and there was a couple instances where there was a man on. And Pete was, like, warming up. He had a helmet. He had a bat. Like, he looked like he was, like, getting loose. And then we just never brought him to the plate. And then he was in the on-deck circle. I believe it was the sixth or the seventh inning. There was a man on, and the eighth, whoever was hitting eighth was up. And never happened. And Peraza let off the next inning and had hit, like, a lazy line drive to get out. But it's just, this comes back to the thing that has been nagging me with Rojas most of the season. Not that he's made bad decisions, but he's tried to thread the needle a little too often. I think that comes from being a young, inexperienced manager, where you look for things to be perfect. I fall victim to this MLB The Show, or at least I had when I played the game, where I wanted to just work out perfectly. Like, I want to go from my starter to my eighth to my ninth guy. Like I want this guy to finish the inning. Like I want. Like, sometimes you just have to like let P. Alonso get to the plate, because if you're down three, it's a lot easier to win a game when you're down one. Yeah. You know, or down like, at two. least give us the opportunity. Yeah, give us the opportunity to score runs. Like put Pete Alonso at the plate. Like I know you want Pete to have the shot at three run home run, but you talk about the mental rest day. 
that makes his resting way more difficult when you're like, hey, Pete, when two guys get on, you're going to save us. Like, that's not a rest day. That's the opposite. No, that's true. That's a good point. Like, if, if you really did care about the rest day, you'd throw him up there instantly so he could get back to not worrying about it. Yeah, just let him get in that bat. Let him take a couple hacks if he's going to pinch hit anyway. And also, there's no way that he was getting the full day off when you already knew that Nido and VR were unavailable and on the bench. Yeah. It was just, it was a bad offensive game. And this is when I, like I, I mentioned the gloom and doom, it was getting really gloom and doom. People on Twitter were bad, which we've talked about before, but it was like kind of the first time that I felt myself also being a little bit like gloom and doom, but I wasn't, I wasn't gloom and doom. I was just like, so done with the performance that I stopped caring, you know? Oh, I, I'm the opposite. I was very much caring. I've been like harp, harping on the fact that we have just been unlucky at the plate rather than bad. Like, the Mets are still near the top of the league and a lot of expected stats as a team. We're not striking out the whole lot. We're putting a lot of hard-hit balls in play. Great defense pl- being played against us on a regular basis, which I'll get to in a moment. But this game was awful. We only had five hard-hit balls the entire game. We made Charlie Morton look like 2017 Charlie Morton. Like, this was Houston Astros' Charlie Morton. This was a vintage performance from from the old guy. And it had just... It had Keith, Gary, and Ron just buzzing about it because they love Charlie Morton. We know oh. Ronnie loves Charlie Morton. He thinks he's one of the best five pitchers in baseball. Yeah, that's which is just so insanely wrong. <laughs> and you know Keith is just dying at any point to give like an old guy who plays baseball like it was the 80s. Yeah. Like, give him a shout-out because Keith is becoming a little crotchety, which is sad to say. But Keith has been crotchety for years. I don't know where you've been. but <laughs> I think his crotchety in this, though, is like really coming to an all-time high. Like he, he hates how baseball is played right now, and he's making it very well known. I think Keith, like probably many of us, just kind of laments the product. Just the fact that at some point this product sucks. Like there's not a lot of balls that are put in play. There isn't a lot of great opportunities for strong defenders to make make you go wow. It just doesn't happen. Like again, the Mets this game had two hits. One came with two outs in the ninth inning. The other one was Jared Eikhoff on a dribbler. Five hard hit balls. Are you kidding me? And also one of those came with two outs in the ninth inning. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah, that's bad. The silver lining I was able to pull from this game was our boy Drew Flo. Looked fucking nice. Yeah, you even mentioned to me that you think that the Mets could possibly stretch stretch out Drew Flo to be maybe a a swing man, maybe even a starter. Dude, I really, truly, honestly think so. Like he broke out of the changeup on Tuesday night, where I was like, "Where the fuck did that come from?" And it was nice. He threw it six times out of his twenty nine pitches. I got two whiffs on two swings. Like there was something tangible with that pitch. He was still ripping his four seamer. He was gassing that thing in ninety five, baby. Cutter looked good, pressing 90 a couple times. I love Drew Smith. As the preeminent Drew Smith podcast in the world, like, this was a big night for us. He looked great. And also, Aaron Loop, wow, put the team on his back. He's like, you guys need innings? I got you for innings. Aaron he was Loop. awesome. No, Aaron Loop's been a really quiet, good reliever for us. A very solid pickup by the boys in the front office. Did you see, I'm sure you didn't because you've been busy. Did you see his press conference after the game? Aaron Loop talked after the game? I don't know what this guy sounds like at all. Aaron Loop walked on the Zoom press conference with a with a bush light in front of him. That's electric. Crazy. That's electric. I have just gained so much more respect for Aaron Loop for just openly drinking after a game. We threw 40 pitches. It's like a lifetime for the guy. That's like so, what was it, like 2012 Boston Red Sox? Like drinking some beers and stuff. That's that's crazy. Yeah. He was wearing a camo hat too. It was just like, yeah, bush, American beer. Bush, the game when Jerry Lekoff has your only hit until the 26th out, like this is what you have to cling to. Aaron Loop throwing 40 pitches and saving your bullpen for another day. But luckily, we can put this behind us 
and forget the gloom and doom because oh the offense is so back baby let's go we're 100 percent back this i know we've been talking about the most recent game on this podcast for the last few episodes i think we're going to keep doing that in the future but this series was so stark and different the first three games compared to tonight we wanted to lead into the happiness we wanted to reel you guys in with sorrow and sadness before we drop the hammer that our offense is so fucking back. We're so goddamn back. Having Conforto back is so oh, huge. Oh. So huge. Like, I love Michael Conforto, though. It just lengthens that lineup so much. I love it. He just fits so snugly right in the middle. When he smacked that double 110 off the bat in the first inning, I, like, got out of my chair. I was like, we're back. We're completely back. Like, there he is. There's the guy. McNeil was even smacking the ball around today really well. Should have had a home run on that All first inning ball. Dude, that ball died. I can't. That ball had a 770 expected batting average, and Ender and Ciarte, the rat fuck, made it look like a can of corn. I was frustrated at that moment. Yeah. Frustrated. You know what, though? We got in Ciarte back because he tried to catch Rob Luis Guillorme's home run, but no, you don't do that to our king. Not Luis. Never. Not half of the G unit right there with Luis Guillorme. Granted, still stopped a home run, but it was a double, which we take. He botched it. And I mean, we could we can do our NCR tip as long as we want, but he did he did that the last laugh because he's just the fucking worst. Yeah, I mean the home run. Like this dude is not a major league baseball player by any means anymore. He hits the ball so soft. It's shocking how soft he hits the ball consistently. And he refuses to do anything except when he plays the New York Mets. He gets a, a sip from the fountain of youth and remembers, oh yeah, I was good at one point. It just, like, gives the guy life. It's so frustrating. It's upsetting, to be honest with you. It's awful. I hate it. Like, you'll never forget when he robbed that Cespedes home run and he kissed the ball after. That rat fuck. Oh, they showed they showed that clip, I think, yesterday. I was like, you got, I was triggered. I was gaslighted. Put a, was so put a upset. hole in the TV. Just punch right through the screen. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? How can you put this on right now? Right now? Damn, especially as bad as the offense was playing. And then right after the highlight, he, I think, made a nice play. Then he, like, bunted for a hit. I was like, are you fucking serious with this guy like oh my god he was he hasn't even been playing most of this year and they just dust him off in the Mets games I guess it's strictly because Christian Pache is not capable of hitting at the major league level even slightly no which is a shame because I kind of like I didn't didn't like him as like a prospect but I figured he would he just he plays such a fun brand of baseball between like the energy the speed the center field like I'd like to see that guy in the lineup I just I will do anything to get Ender Enciarte unemployed anything anything (laughs) possible whatever whatever to take food out of that guy's mouth I'll do it (laughs) calling him baseball baseball player unemployed <laughs> just it really sent me i really like that but anyway this isn't the ender and zr day podcast let's talk about more positive from the mets lindor our boy the 300 million dollar man huge home run yeah. i gotta tell you something my dad the other day yeah dad i hope you're listening to this because you need to be it needs to be aired out there i gave him so much crap because he was so negative on lindor he's like oh he's not gonna last in this city he's gonna request a trade to the dodgers oh. this guy stinks he's awful and i go when the Mets are lifting the World Series trophy and Lindor wins the MVP, you're not allowed to enjoy it. So when he texted me that Lindor <laughs> hit the home run tonight, I said, you better not be celebrating. You're not allowed to. This guy stinks. That's pretty funny, honestly. My my dad has soured on Lindor a little bit, not to the same degree. My uncle, who I spent Father's Day with, he was like, some guys just can't make it in the city. I've seen it a thousand times. I was like... What the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's not. My shut dad, up. My dad dropped Jason Bay. I was like, it's not even close. Oh, that's fucked up. That's really fucked up, Mr. Luino. If you're listening to this, that's wrong. You don't. You can't say that. You never say that name. 
But yeah, Lindor, home run, and he got a couple hits, like another hit in the game too. Like the swings. Yeah, no, he good. had the RB. He had the RBI late that let us like kind of relax. Be like, all right, we have this game under control. Nothing bad can happen now. We also had the patented walk in the first inning before the Conforto uh, strong double. Just what he does. He just got a couple hits, got on base, played some good defense. Like this guy's really good. We were just the whole team was lacing the ball all game. McNeil had put three balls in play over 100 miles an hour. The team in general played, I think, eight balls in play over 100 miles an hour. Guillaume had two crush. He had two smacks also the beautiful drag bunt the old lost art he just got a hit so easily he's not even that fast he really isn't that fast pete put a couple of nice balls in play don put a couple of nice balls in play could four though both of his hits were laced like mccann yeah mccann i totally forgot about mccann mccann the rbi late as well he had the double in the mid innings we were just moving this was the first time in a month where i looked at the mets lineup before the game and i didn't like laugh or like pinch myself because like i have to try and see if this is real but this was this was real Kyle Wright's not a good pitcher, and the Mets made him look like not a good pitcher. When We love to make guys look better than they are. We've seen it this week. Luckily, the bats woke up and we made Kyle Wright look like the pitcher he truly is. I'll I'll never quit on Kyle Wright. Just the fact that he went to Vanderbilt and he was a high draft pick and he throws hard with multiple off-speed pitches. The second he gets off of this Braves team, which seems like they're just bad at developing pitchers. Yeah, they just have no ability to develop any sort of Yeah, based on their lack of depth yeah once he finds his way to like the astros the dodgers the padres or the mets as a free agent i'm so in on, on uh, kyle wright kyle wright's gonna have a great second prime you can put the james shiano pitching stamp on that right now kyle wright is gonna have a great second prime but dude our offense like talked about it early in this episode i've talked about it for a couple shows in a row now we just continue to hit the ball really hard and not get lucky like Derek Carthy if and no one follows him on Twitter is aware of him you should check him out he is the creator of the bat x projection system it has been proven over the last two seasons to be the most accurate projection system public projection system that we have available to us as fans you can find it on fan graphs if you want to win your fantasy baseball league just go to the bat x go to the hitters click woba and get the guys who are at the top of it run your league out of the water but he ranks the Mets based on his system as the eighth best offense in baseball that's based on the results we've had not the results we expect this team has still been hitting the ball we just haven't been finding it like these are going to drop the water is going to find its level we're going to even out like based on his uh his metric we're the fifth least lucky team in baseball which that's that's a little bit that's mumbo jumbo i understand but watching these games night in night out like i feel that like balls continue to find gloves austin riley made three diving plays in one game the other day the guys made a diving play since he was in junior high like this is a joke Yeah, we are going to start to click. We're going to start to click. We're getting more legitimate bats back, which lengthens that lineup, puts more pressures on these pitchers. They have to make pitches. You essentially every night with the Mets lineup recently got a few free outs, whether it was from Nito recently, which pains me to say. Nito, the pitcher, Mason Williams, Albert Almora, whatever it's going to be, there was a spot at some point where you knew you could just get out of a jam if you were in it. The Mets getting their guys back, that makes it a lot harder now. You remember Janeshwi Fargus? Remember that week? Uh, Janeshwi Fargus, Cameron Mabin starting at the same time. Cameron Mabin playing a week and not having a hit. <laughs> Cash Money Mabin, Khalil Lee. Yo, I forgot about Khalil Lee. These guys were part of our team for an extended period of time. Uh, and we Wilfredo were Tovar, Jake Hager. Wilfredo Tovar. Jake Jake Hager and Wilfredo Tovar. You can say what you want about them, but damn, did those guys crush AAA pitching. I was looking at some tri- AAA stats for our prospect report that we're going to get to in a little bit, but god damn, were those guys all over the all over the field at Syracuse. And I mean, I think this transitions nicely into it. Let's talk about the guy who came up from AAA and made the start in his major league debut. Yeah. You've been hyping him up. Oh yeah. We now know it's Tyler McGill. Tyler. 
Tyler McGill. Tyler McGill really impressed me today. He got into trouble in the fifth, which was his third time around the order, but I don't even care. He looked pretty goddamn good. He did. He looked just really good. The NCRT home run was basically the only blemish on his entire ledger. He was imposing. He seemed in control. He had a very good demeanor. He was throwing hard with command. Like he was touching 97, which is barely even a part of the scouting report. And that fastball was jumping out of his hand. Jumping. Yeah, and you love to hear that. I, I really do love a pitcher that's got a good fastball, and it seems like McGill does. Because we've seen what Jeremy Hefner can do. He'll sprinkle that magic on you, and he'll make those other pitches good all of a sudden. While that fastball was good, he was like definitely relying on it. So this is something that the league will catch up to after a start or two. It was it accounted for sixty percent of all the pitches he threw, and it only had one whiff on twenty one swings, which is way worse than I expected. Especially watching it, it felt like there were a couple more. But the pitch did have thirteen call strikes. He was putting it where he needed to. He was varying the counts he was using it in, and most importantly, he used it to set up all of his off speed secondary stuff very well. He used that changeup that we spoke about a couple weeks ago, the first time we even mentioned McGill, a lot, like way more than I expected. Like it was the second most thrown pitch tied with his cutter, which based on every scouting report, every Twitter thread, everything I've heard, read, seen, listened to, talked about about McGill, like that was a pitch that is like his difference maker. That was the one that's been developmental. That's the one that's going to be the difference between him being like a bullpen guy or a starter or probably a difference just between a major leaguer and triple and a quadruple a guy and it worked like he threw it confidently like he mixed it in a couple two strike counts i saw him using a couple three ball counts like it impressed me and also just the fact that he had the balls to use it yeah no he he really pitched a very good game you had two polar opposites there you had kyle wright who is the highly touted guy has all the stuff in the world but he's a thrower right now he doesn't really understand how to pitch tyler mcgill granted i'm not going to make some crazy outlandish call outs yet but he pitched, he pitched, he pitched, he used the stuff that he had, and he used it to his advantage. Where Kyle Wright, on the other side, just throws 120% every single time, and it doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. I do have a really creepy McGill stat. Gary actually mentioned on the broadcast for anyone who was watching. I don't think you were, so I'm going to share it right now. Tyler McGill debuted at the exact same age as Jacob deGrom to the day. Oh my god weird it's like some kismet scary like freaky astrology shit 25 years 10 months 27 days jacob Degrom and tyler mcgill threw their first pitch for the new york mets and you know what's real interesting about jacob Degrom's what? debut too came like out of nowhere really just yes. needed him from an emergency and he had a, mm-hmm. a nice little first start yeah against the yankees and i have a funny personal story about that i was looking to go to a subway series game that year with my dad i think i was still in high school you know want to go to the game, hang out with my dad, yada, yada. And on back-to-back days, Jacob DeGrom was debuting, and the day before, Rafael Montero was debuting. And Rafael Montero was the big prospect at the time. DeGrom was a no-namer. Montero had the hype. Montero had the fame. Montero had the shine. He was like, let's go to one of these games. Which one do you want to go to? And I was like, let's go to Montero. He's the more highly talented prospect. Montero lost to Masahiro Tanaka, who threw, I believe, a complete game shutout against the Mets. Made us look foolish. And DeGrom, like, you, you guys know what happened to Jacob DeGrom after that. Never went back down. Yeah, the rest is history. Uh, one is arguably one of the best pitchers of all time, and the other is Rafael Montero. So, uh, you can, he's, a member, he's a member of Mets West. Yes, the Seattle Mariners. You can connect the dots on that one. There's no real hide in that answer there. The weird thing in this game, though, was Corey Oswalt. Now, Corey Oswalt's going to have to pitch. He got called up. I'm not the biggest Corey Oswalt fans. You've been a little higher on him than I have. You're not a, a huge Corey Oswalt guy. I'm not going to slander your opinions here. I prefer if you didn't attach my name to Corey Oswalt. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, but 
in you know last year we were living together like we saw him and you're like i think he could be okay and i was like no he was okay today he was fine he was fine i i feel like they used him because they just literally had to like the rest of this bullpen was kind of shot and they used castro to get out of the fifth inning jam like they used him as a stopper which i thought was nice like that was the proper use of miguel castro in that situation and they told Corey Oswald, just, like, get as many outs as you can. Figure it out. And he'll be optioned probably tomorrow. Even if he has options left, I don't know. They might just be okay. DFA and Corey Oswald at this point, now that we signed uh, Nick Tropiano and and uh, goggle legend Vance Worley. That's crazy. But that he looked, name is out there. Yeah, I can't be <laughs> picked him up. He was pitching in, like, a, the independent league or something. But I don't know. Oswald, like, he got outs. Like, at some point, this Mets team, we just need to find a couple of outs. Like, the fastball touch 94, like, that's okay. I remember a couple spring trainings ago, which is the whole reason I ever said I liked him, was that he touched, like, 97. I was like, if he touches 97, like, he could do something. If that's inside of Corey Oswald, I would appreciate if it came out at some point. Like, that would make him a better pitcher. But uh, that's all I got about Corey Oswald. To all the negatives that we're saying about him, I think it's... We gotta give him some props, though. He did give us two and a third innings, and he he kept he the game where it was. Really, he didn't cost us. He didn't make it more uncomfortable, really, by any means. We owe Brian Snicker a debt of gratitude for that because when he was on the ropes and the tying run came to the plate with a pinch hitter, he opted to use Drew Smiley, Woo. the uh, the feared bat that we all know and love. Drew Smiley, the power hitter, the cleanup hitter, usually when he pitches, right? Doesn't doesn't Drew Smiley hit fourth for the Braves? Yeah, Shohei Otani, Drew Smiley. He really bailed us out, and it was kind of chilling after that until we got to the eighth, and then Edwin Diaz just cleaned it up like he does because he's just so good in save situations. Mm-hmm. I know I don't think it was it wasn't technically a save situation yet because he got I think his sixteenth save of the year. He's just money. He doesn't mess up. Yeah, I think it's because when we came in, it was a three run game, and we scored the seventh run at the top of the ninth. Yes, you're right. You're right. So yeah, save situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Edwin, we we don't need to talk about him too much. You guys know the drill by now. He's just good. That's it. Super good. He's great. He's one of the best closers in baseball. And this kind of put a nice tight bow on what could have been a disastrous series. Like splitting and having a convincing last game win as opposed to losing three games in a row to the Braves after losing three out of four to the Nationals would have had us in a bit of a tailspin. But I feel good right now. I'm positive. I'm optimistic. I feel pretty happy about where this team is at. Dude, it's crazy looking at the National League East standings right now because the Mets are still in first. And then you've got mm-hmm. the Nationals in second place, who was a team that you thought was, you know, getting taken behind the barn and put out out of their misery. They're now in second place, <laughs> four games back. The Braves are in third, and those Phillies are in fourth place where they belong because they're a fourth place team, <laughs> as I always say. This NL East is far from over, but the Nationals are playing good baseball, and they're doing weird stuff. I don't know. The Nationals and the Phillies played what I think was probably the game of the year today. I think it ended up 13-12. After the... Max Scherzer incidents last night like they've had a wild series did I know we're a Mets podcast but I did want to like talk for a minute about like the hoopla that's been ensuing this week with the sticky stuff enforcement just because I think it's fucking ridiculous that Major League Baseball like seemingly has made a mockery of their own product as they've done time and time again for my lifetime at least where I feel like they're purposefully embarrassing the people they employ it's it's really ridiculous it seems like Rob Manfred doesn't like baseball whenever you see these things you go you you don't like it right like you're just you're seeing what you could try to like see how long we'll stick around because yes like the sticky stuff i think it did need to be addressed i think it should have gotten fixed but this is something 100%. you do before the season or after the season if you're gonna do it during the season it's got to be handled better than what's happening because we got pitchers getting butt ass naked on the mound because you're like yeah you want to so check it, Roma check dropped me. his pants 
it, it, it's getting laugh out loud funny because it's it's embarrassing. You you laugh because you're uncomfortable because you go, this is such a fucking joke. You just said it should be the beginning of the season or the end of the season. You don't want to do this in the middle of the season. I don't support the use of like spider tech. I think pitchers probably need a little bit of yada yada on their hands just to make the game flow better. Like, I don't know, batters use pine tar and they use grips to keep the bats tight, whatever. But even if you were going to do it midseason, he couldn't have waited three weeks until we reached the all-star break and we had five weeks off and guys could have actually had a plan of action here and you could have had like a legitimate conference with the umpires and everyone could have been on the same page and not been a part of this fucking clown circus that we've been doing the last couple of days. Joe Girardi tried to fight Max Scherzer last night. I know that in John Boy's breakdown, it was Joe Girardi was trying to fight Kevin Long, but it was because he was antagonized by Max Scherzer. A manager was antagonized by a player on the other team. Like, how the fuck can you let this happen as a commissioner of the league? No, it's it's an absolute joke. It's a shit show. And even to talk about game four, McGill comes off the mound, standing ovation. Everybody's pumped. Pause. We yeah. got to check him for sicky stuff. Like, what a friggin' joke, man. It's it's crazy how you can have so you can be so distant from the game that you literally run. And the most ironic part about this shit is that we've been so obsessed with pace of play for the last couple of years. And every game this week has been slower because... Every half inning, they're checking both pitchers for fucking sticky shit. Dude's just like so, he's so disconnected. He so doesn't have a clue. The people running Major League Baseball, like from the game operation side, really just don't get it. They have no clue. It sucks because they're just continuing to mangle a product that we all love and that like we all have like this affinity for. Like, it's like Moneyball says, like, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball but they're just fucking making it hard every single year new shit gets invoked them like what what is this game what's happening one of my friends who loves baseball to death mr mr ryan kelly he has told me he only watches the minor leagues now i'm like that's just that's just a, that's a signal for depression but like I, I get i get what you're saying like this the game has been mangled it's uh it's really interesting i saw this t- a tweet about it that let it be known Rob Manfred has gone after pitchers harder than he went after the Houston Astros. I think, well, that was Rodon said that explicitly in an interview last week. Yeah, and it's like, no one's been caught yet cheating, and if you do, you get suspended 10 games. Players on the Houston Astros used cameras explicitly to steal signs to help win a World Series, not even a slap on the wrist. First-round picks from the MLB draft. Which, that is a significant penalty, but I, no one with no players were penalized. No, it was just, it was... It's a joke, but anyway. Back to the Mets, I guess. I just, wanted, I just wanted to get it off my chest. That was such a thing that happened yesterday. I was like just watching it unfold. It was shocking. It needed to be talked about, and I guess since we're going up against the Phillies too, do you want to do the preview of the Phillies series before we do our prospect report here to close out probably easily the longest episode of our podcast ever? Yeah, I guess. This, I don't even know how it's gotten so long, but for sure. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the Phillies series. We actually have our one day off until the All-Star break, which comes on Thursday, so mm-hmm. we got a nice rest day that's going to be huge because the Mets need the rest mm-hmm. because we've got another doubleheader on Friday going up against the Phillies. Uh, shockingly, yep. no starters have been announced for any game in this series for the New York Mets, and for the Phillies... I have I have all, all four starters being announced in front of me right now. See, on, on Mets.com, I don't see a single one. ESPN has them all, and they announced them during the game today. They said at least the first three. ESPN has plugged in Stroman to pitch on Sunday, which it seems like him not being on the IL 
means we're trending that way, but we're staying on schedule for the first three games. Taiwan's gonna, Taiwan and Peterson are going to pitch during the doubleheader. I'm sure we're going to maneuver so Taiwan opposes uh, Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, who we've gotten to on multiple occasions this year, and then DeGrom Eflin on Saturday. This is a very winnable series. The Phillies have been playing terrible baseball. They're just not a very good team. All their shortcomings are coming forward right now. Oh, crazy. Hector Nuris stinks. Who could have told you that was coming? Who could have told you this bullpen's terrible and that outside of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, they have no starting pitching? All their weaknesses are being exposed right now. I just hope that the Mets take this game four against the Braves, that strong offensive production, and push into the rest of the series because we really do have a chance to bury the Phillies, and I want to bury them. I would love to bury them. Three or four against the Phillies this weekend would really crush them, especially beating Nola on Friday. That would really put this team down bad. I hope we do. Like I said before, I'm going to be there. I'm very excited for a single mission doubleheader on Friday. I'm going to do... The James uh, special, I'm going to bring in like two sandwiches, a thing of Cracker Jacks, a banana, two bottles of water, and I'm going to, I'm going to sit at City Field for five hours and enjoy every moment of it. Three of three out of the four games here puts the Phillies back seven. If we split, they stay at five. Like That's so crazy how one more win in a series can make such a big difference, but that's why it's important you got to win this one against the Phillies. I, I never want to be ahead of the Phillies by seven games again. Never. I never want to do that. Okay, so you want to go two and two this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Just take all four. Make it eight. (laughs) Nine, whatever it will be. I'd be good with that as well. I'm very interested in a uh, four-game sweep, but we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Let's take one game at a time. Let's win the doubleheader on Friday, and we'll see how the rest of the series goes. The Mets should beat this team now that we're healthy. And if the offense is really what we saw today, we should have no reason not to beat this team. Like, maybe the Wheeler game. That's the one I'll give. Apparently, we're going to have Stroman that game. So I trust Stroman to at least go toe-to-toe with Wheeler for the time being. And I think our offense is better than the Phillies. So the fact that we have Stroman, DeGrom, and Walker all going in these four games, and Peterson, who has been pitching well, like, I'm confident that we'll at least have an opportunity to win every game. The ball's going to bounce. You know, sometimes you're not going to get a call. Some some weird baseball shit's going to happen. But I'm confident in the fact that we're going to be in every game here, which is more than I've been able to say for a couple of these Mets games in the last couple of weeks. Yep. I think uh, as bad as it felt early this week, we're back riding high, which if that's not a New York Mets fan, I don't know what is. We love to just really buy into this team when they're playing well, but they're also good this year, so I'm cool with it. Absolutely. Yeah, we are good. The Mets are good. Everyone has to understand it, get used to it. It's fucking happening. We're going for it. We're fucking going for it. Stevie is going to make a trade sometime soon, and that's going to pull us into our little prospect report here because some of these guys that we've been getting to know pretty well on this show, other shows, Twitter, yada, yada, a couple of these guys are going to have to say bye to. And I'm pretty confident in that over the next month. Yeah, I think we're going to see one of the big three moved. I think I think so too. I think we're going to see one. I think it's not going to be Alvarez, so I should really say it's either going to be Beatty or Mauricio. One of them is going to be moved. And if I had to guess, it's going to be Mauricio, which pains me because I've really started to like Mauricio but on Tuesday night when the Mets game actually I think it was the middle of the afternoon there was some trade chatter going around especially like we were talking about it a lot on Sunday came out Monday whatever I put the poll up on Mets up are you guys okay with trading either Mauricio or Beatty I also left out Alvarez because I I love Francisco I love he's untouchable I don't want to trade him yeah I I think he is officially untouchable based on how he's performed at the next level which we'll get to in a moment but I said would you move Ronnie Mauricio or Brett Beatty if it meant getting a legit starting pitcher and I listed Jose Barrios Max Scherzer John Means and the vote ended up 51.8 to 48.2 with more than 2,500 votes counted what was it in favor of? Yes, they would trade. In favor of yes, yes, they would trade one of those three, one of those two guys to get one of those three pitchers. Yeah. So my and if you look, I was gonna say if you look through the comments, 
most people said yes to Mauricio and no to Beatty. Like just based on like the words being said, people were like, I would definitely, I, if I had to, I would trade Mauricio for getting one of those guys. Beatty, I would value him a little bit less than Beatty internally. I think a lot of people know that Lindor's not going anywhere. Mauricio is probably not going to be the shortstop, you know, anytime soon. He's going to have to find a new position that be third base or a corner outfield spot or second base, whatever it's going to be. So I think people see him as a little more expendable and they would rather not have to teach a guy a new position. But that being said, he's done some stuff this year that like really opens your eyes and goes, there's that guy that they've been hyping up forever. That's the dude we've been waiting for. So I don't know. My take has always been, if you're a team that can legitimately grab a good player, a guy who's going to help you win a World Series, you trade prospects. I've always been, a f- like, that's always been my stance. You trade guys who aren't guaranteed to get that guaranteed guy. So let's just say the scenario is Max Scherzer. Yeah, no doubt you trade one of those guys. The scenario is John Means, Jose Barrios. I, I think you got to pull the trigger. The Mets are so close. This is a World Series competing team that one of those guys could be the difference maker. And unfortunately for this team, honestly, in the next two or three years, even Mauricio or Beatty is not going to really be the difference. No, I I think that we're probably looking at 2023 for either, either of those guys to make their debut. Truthfully, I think Alfred is probably a little bit quicker because he's just proven to be so advanced. Not even that he has better stats than Beatty and Mauricio at high A, even though he's slight, he kind of does. He just, there's just, he's just, a, he's just different. Like he's built different to say like some corny cliche and shit. But that being said, Mauricio has been blazing hot. He's probably had his best like five or ten game stretch he's had all season. He's twelve for his last thirty right now, not including tonight because we don't have those stats yet. Which is one strikeout. And for a guy who has struggled with strikeouts in the past and played discipline in general, like that is a massive development. Yep, he's been hot. Beatty's been hot too. Six hits mm-hmm. in his last seven games. Alvarez, you talked about being different. He struggled a little bit when he first got called up. But since then, he's been really good. It just continues mm-hmm. to mash, and he's hitting for power again, too, which is really, really nice to see. The, the three-headed monster down there in, in Brooklyn is just its so good. It's scary. Alvarez, since getting the call, has been 50% better than league average in high A. As a 19-year-old, he's 19 still. There's guys on this team. We looked at the roster net. We went there like 23, 24, 25. Alvarez is a child. He's a minor. He's two years away from a legal drink, and he is mashing, mashing. Yeah, no, he's he's really good. He's the guy who's untouchable. Beatty Mauricio, them playing well is great because, like, awesome. We got these prospects, but it also stinks because now— Obviously, whenever we're involved in trade talks, people are going to be like, so uh, how about Beatty and Mauricio when maybe they might have looked at some other guys? Because we do have some other guys that are pretty decent. One that's been heating up in particular, Mark Vientos, who we've talked about a lot on Mm -hmm. this podcast. We don't really know where he fits in. It feels like he doesn't. But him playing well is great because maybe he could be a guy that we ship out somewhere for someone who does fit in. Yeah, I would love for someone to call us asking about Mark Vientos because right now it does look good. He has hits in eight of his last nine games. He's had a couple home runs there. Like the power's always been his thing. And apart from the power being his thing, the strikeouts are his thing. Like even over this nine game stretch where he has heated up, he still struck out 33% of the time with a batting average over 300. Like I don't talk about batting average very often. It's a pretty archaic, outdated stat, but I think it's useful in a, like to show a guy like Vientos who doesn't make contact very much but even with a high batting average he still just continues to strike out we don't have exit velocity numbers on him i'm sure they're through the roof because he's a big guy with power so maybe he just develops into like i don't know like even like a miguel sano type like if you could play competent defense and hit like miguel sano that's valuable ish just to get a guy who hits home runs once in a while someone who i've 
beginning to become more impressed with. I even think he probably has a higher ceiling than Vientos at this point is your boy, the Gamecock, Carlos Cortez. Love to hear Carlos it. Cortez hit safely in 17 of his last 19 games for the Rumble Ponies at Binghamton. He's always been a dude that, like, even at South Carolina, could hit. Like, that was always, like, he's, he's a good hitter. And the reason yeah. he's, like, a switch thrower is because he had to find a way to get into the game at any point. So, in the outfield, he throws lefty because he gets a little better arm there, gets a little more range. In the infield, he plays righty, obviously. You just got to find a way to get him into the line because this dude can hit. You know what I learned today during the broadcast? That Billy Wagner was a righty at first. It wasn't because he broke his arm he learned how to throw a lefty? You know, he had like a, like a freak injury or something, and he could not throw righty anymore. Yeah, and he just happened to throw 102 with his left arm. Fuck yeah. you, Billy Wagner, but I love you. But also, fuck Ridiculous. you. You get two gods <laughs> touch, or two arms from the gift of God. <laughs> two arms from the gift of God. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he had. <laughs> and then those are the prospects who are doing well. I want to touch on a couple guys who've kind of been stanking. Your boy Jank Mangum has hit the skids at double A. Big time. 0 for his last 29 with 9 strikeouts. He did hit a home run tonight, so that 0 for 29 was broken by tonight, but that was rough. And you know what? It's okay because we're starting to get our guys back here, so we're no longer yeah, in it doesn't emergency. Anymore, yeah. Who else do we yeah. got? So let Jake Mangum marinate a little bit there in AA and try to figure out that pitching a little more. Yeah, just put in some teriyaki, plastic bag in the fridge. Let him hang out. Let him just soak the juices up of minor league pitching. The other guy who's been stanking, which this is just as really – upset me and not even upset me but just kind of i don't want to even say surprise me but just sapuki he still hasn't pitched since we last spoke but i just still want to reference how crazy it is that tyler mcgill made his debut before thomas sapuki yeah sapuki's been in triple a for years mcgill had not thrown a pitch above high a before this before may 1st and he's in the major leagues and thomas sapuki just cannot or i think it's sapuki i heard someone say sapuki it might be sapuki when he comes to the major leagues we'll hear gary keith and ron pronounce it so i'll figure it out but it's just crazy that this guy can't seem to get it right against AAA. That's yeah. a really bad sign. No, he's been he's been super struggling. And just to go back to previous prospect reports, we talked about wanting the Mets to be aggressive with guys in the minor. Did with Tyler McGill, and look at it. It's paid off. It seems like being aggressive yes. with him is going to end up paying dividends. I don't know. McGill had like a 35% K rate this year between two levels. Like, this guy... He was hand- no one could touch him. He was handling it. So Pucky doesn't have that. He had a couple nice starts early in the season, but the control is shot. The strikeouts are not there. He never really had velocity to begin with. Like he just might need some more like marinating, as you just mentioned. Yes, gotta let him gotta let him marinate a little bit. Throw him in the fridge. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. There's your reason, you know, th- those tough piece- pieces of meat, they get good with some flavor when you let them marinate. Zapuki so and mangum, they're just, you know, the flank steak. We know they always, whenever you marinate food, it always tastes better. You, The one time you've actually done it, you're like, wow, this is good. I should do this all the time. Why don't I plan my meals? Then what happens? Of course, you're not going to plan your meals. You're busy. You're a busy person. You're doing things. Life is happening. But it always tastes better. Let these guys marinate. We might be able. I still think we're going to see Sapucky before the season's out. I'm hoping he has a nice run AAA to make it worth it. But before we go, I just want to talk about my guy, Alex Ramirez, 18-year-old in high and low A, hitting his stride. Over his last 10 games, he's hitting 304, OPS is over 800, 126 WRC+, and five extra base hits for my wiry 18-year-old in low A. I freaking love this guy. He's going he's gonna to go all the way. He's gonna, this guy's going to be a top 100 prospect. I have no doubt about it. I'm glad that you mentioned him at the start of the year because I really didn't know anybody besides Alvarez who was hanging around in like those low areas because the Mets really do have like a deficiency and like we got the top guys and then there's the rest. And it's good to know that there's a little something down there in Alex Ramirez, a little a little nugget that could, you know, 
shine yeah. one day. Yeah, he's, he's he's flashy. He's got some he's got some plus attributes, which I love. My other guy, Junior Santos, has turned into pretty good starts recently. My six seven hulking menace, eleven. 11 innings pitch, just two earned runs. Like, the control is still shaky. There's still a lot of walks. Not a ton of strikeouts, but got velocity. He's working on the off-speed stuff. Like, there's a guy who I think is really going to develop as well. He might not have, like, a super high ceiling unless everything actually sinks up, but there's a guy who I also believe will be a major leaguer one day. And also, our boy JT Jin, Mr. Tangeray. First time he crossed that five innings uh, threshold since he got Tommy John surgery, which is big. So, clap it up for JT. He's making progress. He's moving. He's figuring it out. Really happy to see that from a guy with... Tons of potential, especially after we dealt, um, what's his name, Josh Wolf in the Lindor deal. For those of you who have listened this long, I need someone to tweet at us. Is it Jin or Gin? Because I honestly have never heard <laughs> anyone pronounce it. Uh, he's JT Tangare. Yeah, JT Tangare. That's what we'll just call him. But yeah, if you get to this point, tweet us. Jeter had no range, draft Nick Mark, at Metstop, how to pronounce his name. Because I'd like to get it right. Because he's going to be good, and he's going to be a part of a Mets rotation in the future. I'm glad to see he's pitching well. The Rays do a cool thing in their website where they have a pronunciation section where you can see the way every name on the team is pronounced. And it's pronounced by those players. It's very cool. I wish more teams did that. I think you're going to start to see it. You have to, just because, I don't know, I want to say these guys' names right. I'm sure they want their names set right. I'm happy that Twitter finally, after a couple of years, you can, maybe it's just the keyboard I have or the Mac, but you can hold down letters and the accents pop up. I like spelling guys' names right. Like, I would be upset if someone spelled my name wrong repeatedly on the internet. Well, it's like the whole Luis Robert Robert scenario. Like he even well, we still don't we still just don't know. He also doesn't give you a clear answer. Like in his first ever interview, talking about how to pronounce his name, he's like, "En Cuba es Robert." He's like, "En America es Robert." And I was like, "So what is it?" He's like, "I don't care." It's like, no, you have to pick. You Robert. can't just say you don't care. It's like he says half of the T. It's Robert. like a half of the T. Robert. 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 But anyway, sidetracked there. Yeah, we're we're off topic now. We've been going for like an hour and ten. It's hour twenty. It's one twenty. This is a late recording from us. I am <sighs> exhausted from watching high school players play baseball for about seven to eight hours today, <laughs> and I have to be up early tomorrow to watch even more baseball. So I'm not complaining. I'm super pumped. I get to watch some of the yeah. best bright young stars show off to major league baseball teams and hopefully get a chance to get drafted high, which is exciting couple guys that I've uh, circled on my list, a couple guys that I've been tweeting out videos for, super exciting stuff. Follow me on Twitter, at GiraffeNickMark, and follow James on Twitter as well. Jeter had no range. We need to get this guy to 1,000 followers at some point. It's been too long. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, you've, been, you've been putting out some good tweets. Follow James, Jeter had no range. Follow the podcast, at MetsUp on Twitter and Instagram. You could subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. The YouTube videos will be returning soon. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure you drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you're liking or disliking or whatever you want to do. Just drop it in the reviews. It's Google Podcasts, Spotify as well. And I think that's where we're going to wrap up here, episode number 26 of the Mets Up Podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll talk to you after this Philly series this weekend. Peace out. Thanks for listening.